segment here than usual because we have a jam-packed episode. Um, first of all, we have an update on the filing with the U.S. Supreme Court to reinstate the stay on OSHA's employee vaccine mandate. Um, that That's just an, an update on what's going on there. You can find that on aaronsiri.substack.com. Um, we also have Israel considers a fourth vaccine dose, another booster, but some experts say it's premature. That's out of the New York Times. The New York Times is even admitting that. Um, maybe we don't want to go to a fourth booster just yet. Uh, we have an article about Omicron, which is um, spreading rapidly around the country. Um, but infections seem to be milder. Three research teams report. That's out of the New York Times as well. Um, we have... An interesting article here on surveillance. Um, Canada secretly tracked 33 million phones during the COVID-19 lockdown, and they will continue the tracking for at least five more years. So, and that article is out of the New York Post. So, of course, when the government takes a power, they don't easily give it away. So they're going to be tracking their phones for a very long time unless people rise up in Canada, which I don't see happening anytime soon. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, the Guardian is calling for price controls to fight inflation. So I think we, we knew that was coming. I'm sure we discussed it on our inflation episode. But, you know, the government causes the problem, and then the government comes in with their solution of more control. In this case, they want to do price controls, which leads to short, shortages every single time. Um, and then we have the BBC apologizing for having Alan Dershowitz on to talk about the Gisling Maxwell verdict. As you'll see in this episode, uh, Alan Dershowitz has many ties to Epstein Maxwell. So for BBC to bring him on 
um, and interview him as some kind of expert without revealing how biased he is was pretty amazing. They actually had to issue uh, an apology. Um, UK inches closer to banning private car ownership. That is out of autos.yahoo.com. So, yeah, over in the United Kingdom, they're considering banning cars altogether because cars represent uh, freedom and independence. So, who knows? That, that could happen very soon in all of Europe, actually, within the next 10 years, I would think. Um, Chile rewrites its constitution because of climate change. That's out of the New York Times. Um, I think that's something that could happen here if they open up a new constitutional convention. They might want to change a lot of things and, and institute a lot more control than the original constitution allows. But anyways, that's that's it. It's a quicker segment today because we have a long episode. Well, we, we have a lot to say in this episode, I should say. So I'll throw it back to Scott. All right, yeah, thank you, Patrick Henry. Uh, we can bring in Mr. Lawson if he has any uh, comments he wants to say on any of those articles. Yeah, I just to say, thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, yeah, they're not banning cars, per se, but they're banning car ownership, so I think it's going to be more of a, um, like, what it sounds like is like cars are only going to be able to be in certain areas of cities in Europe, and it's going to be like more of a shared, um, temporary model. So, just to clarify that. Um, there is a, so just for my COVID, um, information that I look up, there's a doctor in the UK, I don't know if you know him, um, Patrick, but his name is John Campbell. Um, he does a lot of videos on YouTube and I like, I recommend him to listen to if you're interested in, in actually hearing like stats about the vaccine. Um, he's not, you know, he, he does question Dr. Fauci. He, he's not like a, I wouldn't say he's a vaccine denier, but he also doesn't, um, mention it every podcast. He's not like trying to sell you. He's not like, go get your vaccine every podcast or he's not, you know, vaccines are going to kill you every podcast. He just kind of reads stats. Um, so yeah, John Campbell, you'll see him on YouTube. He's a British doctor. And I just like him because he kind of gives you more of just just information and doesn't try and you don't feel like you're being sold, which I feel like there's so many doctors that go on TV in the U.S. and even online that are just trying to like you almost feel like you're being sold something. So just wanted to recommend him. And um, real quickly, just wanted to say I'm glad the Build Back Better bill failed um, or, or is, isn't getting off the ground. Um, way too big, way too much stuff. And I'm actually kind of glad Joe Manchin. Um, basically killed that bill because we don't need a lot of government spending right now um, while there's huge inflation. I do think there's things in that the progressives are trying to get through that would be good overall, but I think you need to be able to pay for most of those. Um, so, again, glad it, glad it went down. Also, uh, before we continue, unless uh, Mr. Henry wanted to say anything back or – no? Okay. I was going to ask because I know with the Canadian uh, intelligence – you know, tracking people's phones or the conversations. So, I mean, obviously we have a uh, person who would have a little bit of uh, experience or knowledge more than most people on this. Mr. Lawson, like, who would be heading up that, you know, in the Canadian government? Who would be doing that? Like, is there a separate agency? Is it private? Is it government? I mean, and, and why exactly would they be monitoring people, you know, their, you know, conversations or taxes or whatever they are with that? Well, I don't know, like, what's the name of the... We, I didn't really work too much with, like, the Canadian... Um, any government agencies or even like contractors, quite frankly. Um, but I think it's similar to the NSA where they just, you know, they're starting. I mean, the NSA, think of all the data they collect. You know, they, they say they just collect like 
you know, metadata, and they don't actually, you know, find out specific information on individuals. But when you have all that information, you know there's definitely ways to search it, right? So, like, if there's someone they're really interested in diving deep into, um, they have the ability to search it. Now, what I don't think, I think people that think, like, oh, they collect all information. It's not like someone's sitting there listening to your phone calls. Um, it's not like, you know, there's some government agency just like, oh, man, what did he say today? Um, like they portray on cartoons and the news and stuff like that. No, it's just everything is pretty much collected. And if they're interested in – if there's some sort of reason why they'd be interested in you or your conversations or your network, then they can dive into that information. So I'm sure the Canadian government is doing a similar thing because they probably have similar capabilities to the U.S., I would think, in that area. Yeah, just real quick from the article. So it was the um, the Public Health Agency of Canada, and they actually just admit to doing it. Um, so they tracked 33 million phones. Canada's entire population is 38 million. So they basically tracked everyone. And they, uh, the, the official reason was to see the possible links between the movement of populations within Canada and the spread of COVID-19. So really they used COVID-19 as an excuse to track everybody. But uh, the, US, the U.S. government also has been doing that with... I know they've been using some private companies, though. They've been using more private data, um, you know, from all of our major phone carriers and, you know, I, I, the, the big tech companies basically in this country are doing it. I think that's how, yeah, that's how they did it right here. It says, so the PHAC bought location and movement data from Canadian telecom giant Telus. So, yeah, the, the it's, it's basically like a fascist uh, method where, you know, the giant corporations help out the giant government to track and control everybody. And I think, yeah, that's what's happening in the, in the U.S. and Canada. And we know they do this. I mean, like, how many times you go on social media or you say something and then all of a sudden you get an ad for it or something like some kind of pop-up? I mean, it's, it's they say, I know that they've been trying to make it so they can't sell your information, but, I mean, it, those things go hand in hand and it gets more pressure in every day. And it's something that's sad that we've just kind of come to accept that in our normal ways of life right now. I mean, it's clear they're listening, but you're still a nut if you go like, oh, it's not for nefarious means or anything. It's well, again, again, let me just say again, it's not that they're listening, because I feel like people will mis misread that. They're not listening to, like, our conversations. It's just, it's there, it's, it's there, and it's almost like having, I feel like it's more like an internet kind of, it's like an internet search engine kind of thing. It's like, okay, what did, you know, what did uh, Mr. Scott say today? Then they can research it. But, like, I mean, most people in this country, they couldn't give two shits about, honestly. So they're not listening to you. But if if you become part of a movement they're concerned about, or if you, you know, say certain keywords enough, I think there's different, you know, phrases and stuff you say, then they'll be, then they'll be listening to you more than, you know. But, again, it's not that, like, there's somebody on the phone just, like, constantly listening to your conversations. That's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. Yeah, I remember in years past, like, we went through a phase, Patrick and I, where we'd end, like, every text message to each other with, like, FDNSA or something, or do something that would, like, try to, like, trigger one of those keywords just to kind of mess with it. But, uh, all right. So, uh, are we good on the headlines and going to the episode here, guys? All right. So, having said that, thank you both, gentlemen. Um, and kind of a switch here, I mean, today's topic is a serious one. Um... We have some uncomfortable subjects to bring up, and in my opinion, it's basically the exposed underground world of child sex slavery, and I don't think there's any other way to say that. 
you, you don't want to sugarcoat this because this is exactly what it is. And it's also about those who are responsible for it who've been too powerful to expose and bring to justice. Before looking at his possible connections, for legal purposes, I'll say all these connections are all alleged. You know, just play it safe here and uh, don't want to get sued. So we'll also examine different conspiracies pertaining to Epstein uh, before diving into Maxwell's trial and what could possibly happen to her and also Prince Andrews. All right, so let's begin. So like I said, I'll give a kind of brief history on Jeffrey Epstein here. Um, he was allegedly worth over $570 million when he died, supposedly of quote-unquote suicide. I still don't believe that. If he was killed, um, you, I don't. If he was, if he died, I, I think it wasn't a suicide. I think he was killed, or you know, other things say that he actually might have escaped. So he earned his wealth that we know of from fees managing the Wexner Foundation and Les Wexner's personal wealth. Uh, before I go further into that, I kind of wanted to bring up Les Wexner and then throw it open to uh, Mr. Patrick Henry and bring him in. So what I found on Les Wexner was he was he has a business empire that includes the limited Victoria's Secret, Abercrombie and Finch, and Bath and Body Works, and he allegedly has a net worth of ten billion dollars. Just a couple days before this podcast, he has stepped down from his business dealings and control over his uh, business empire. Uh, but he's eighty-four years old, so it's not like he was probably doing too much anyway. But I've been trying to figure this guy out. He was investigated in 2019 for some of his roles possibly being connected to Epstein, but none of those have been made public as of now. So I wanted to bring in Patrick Henry first to see his opinion. Okay, so <clears throat> I think that the the best intro to Jeffrey Epstein and subsequently Ghislaine Maxwell is this 2002, so before any of this stuff came out about Epstein, an article in New York Magazine. You can still find it. It hasn't been taken down, surprisingly. It's called Jeffrey Epstein, International Money Man of Mystery. So I will read uh, an excerpt from that. Um, I'll try not to drag on too long, but it's got a ton of interesting stuff in here. So this is from the article. It's a life full of question marks. Epstein is said to run a 15 billion run $15 billion for wealthy clients, yet aside from limited founder Les Wexner, his client list is a closely held secret. A formal Dalton math teacher, he maintains a peripatetic salon of brilliant scientists, yet possesses no bachelor's degree. For more than 10 years, he's been linked to Manhattan, London society figure Ghislaine Maxwell, daughter of the mysteriously deceased media titan Robert Maxwell. Yet he lives the life of a bachelor, logging 600 hours a year in his various planes as he scours the world for investment opportunities. He owns what is said to be Manhattan's largest private house, yet runs his business from a 100-acre private island in St. Thomas. My belief is that Jeff maintains some sort of money management firm, though you won't get a straight answer from him, says one well-known in investor who, will, who remains anonymous. He once told me he had 300 people working for him, and I've also heard that he manages Rockefeller money. But, no, but one never knows. It's like looking at the Wizard of Oz. 
there may be less there than meets the eye. Later in the article, it says, he is an enthusiastic member of the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. He dresses casually, jeans, open neck t-shirts and sneakers, and is rarely seen in a tie. Indeed, those close to him say the reason he quit his board seat at the Rockefeller Institute was that he hated wearing a suit. I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. Trump booms from a speakerphone. He's a lot of fun to be with. It is even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. No doubt about it, Jeffrey enjoys his social life. That's an actual uh, quote from Trump. Jeffrey is both a highly successful financier and a committed philanthropist with a keen sense of global markets and an in-depth knowledge of 21st century science, Bill Clinton says through a spokesman. I especially appreciated his insights and generosity during the recent trip to Africa to work on democratization, empowering the poor, citizen service, and combating HIV AIDS. On Ghislaine and Epstein, it says it's a mysterious relationship they have, says society journalist David Patrick Columbia. In one way, they are soulmates, yet they are hardly companions anymore. It's a nice conventional relationship where they serve each other's purposes. I mean, how creepy is the wording of this article when you now know what we what we know. So uh, there's a little bit more here. Um, friends of the two say that Maxwell, whose social life has always been higher octane than Epstein's, lent a little pizzazz to the lower profile Epstein. Indeed, at a party at Maxwell's house, her friend says, one is just as apt to see Russian ladies of the night as one is to see Prince Andrew. The Oxford educated Maxwell, described by many as a man eater, she flies her own helicopter and was recently seen dining with Clinton at Nello's on Madison Avenue, lives in her own townhouse a few blocks away. Epstein is frequently seen around town with a bevy of comely young women. God, this article is creepy. But there has been no bold-faced name to replace Maxwell. In 1982, according to those who know Epstein, he set up his own shop, J. Epstein & Company, which remains his core business today. The premise behind it was simple. Epstein would manage the individual and family fortunes of clients with $1 billion or more, which is where the mystery deepens because according to the lore, Epstein in 1982 immediately began collecting clients. There was no road shows, no whiz-bang marketing demos, just this. Epstein was open for business with those with $1 billion or more. From the get-go, his business was successful, but the conditions for investing with Epstein were steep. He would take, this part's crazy, he would take total control of the billion dollars, charge a flat fee, and assume power of attorney to do whatever he thought was necessary to advance his client's financial costs. And he that's remained, crazy, power attorney. That's, that's insane. It's insane. What's that? And he remained true to the $1 billion entry fee. Again, this is all from the article. These aren't my words. <clears throat> According to people who know him, if you were worth $700 million, and felt the need for the services of Epstein, you would receive a not-so-polite no-thank-you from Epstein. When it comes to putting these billions to work in the markets, it is Epstein himself making all the investment calls. There are no analysts or portfolio managers, just 20 accountants to keep the wheels greased, and a bevy of assistants, many of them conspicuous, conspicuously attractive young women, to organize his hectic life. So assuming conservatively a fee of I think it's 0.5%. He takes no commission or percentages 
on $15 billion, that makes for a management fee of $75 million a year straight into Jeffrey Epstein's pocket. It has been rumored that Linda Wachner and David Rockefeller have been clients, too, but both parties deny such a relationship. Another form of another focus of curiosity is a relationship that Epstein has with his patron and mentor, Les Wexner, as Scott alluded to, founder and chairman of the Columbus, Ohio-based limited chain of women's clothing stores. Wexner, who is said to be worth more than $2.5 billion by Forbes, again, that's $10 billion now, um, Scott looked it up, because this article was written in 2002, <clears throat> became an Epstein client in 1987. It's a weird relationship, says another Wall Streeter who knows Epstein. It's just not typical for someone of such enormous wealth to all of a sudden give his money to some guy most people have never heard of. The Wexner-Epstein relationship is indeed a multifaceted one. So that's all I wanted to read from that article, and then I'll throw it over to Mr. Lawson. But I thought that article was a good intro into all this weirdness surrounding Epstein. Yeah, those are, those are great. <laughs> Some great points. Um, yeah, I just want to say, first of all, Epstein, I feel like, I think we might have said this before, but I think he was clearly murdered. He, I mean, I know it's alleged just to, from being sued, but clearly murdered. Um I think even people who aren't even, like, I would say, not even towards conspiracy. I think people just, like, follow the news. Like, yeah, they think he's murdered. Like, it wasn't, like, they didn't really try and hide it that well, I really don't think. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Epstein, I think, was I mean, he's clearly connected to so many people. Um, I know Boris Johnson of the U.K. was one of them. Um, Prince Andrew, obviously, Pup, like, talked about a lot. Uh, Bill Clinton, Trump. Um and, you know, there's, there's, I mean, they might, you guys might have some more names than I do, but there's just so many high-profile names. I mean, Wexner, obviously, billionaire, um, huge influence in the Columbus, Ohio area. I'm pretty sure there's, like, a medical, isn't there, like, a hospital or medical center just, like, named after the guy that he's donated to so much? I mean, I mean, it, it's it's not just, like, he's not, like I said, if you're dealing with billionaires, you're dealing with people with huge influence. So I'll just toss it back to you guys. Yeah, thank you, both of you. And you both... Well, mostly Patrick brought up two points that I kind of wanted to bring up with both of you. And that one was the first one that Patrick brought up that I wanted to speak about was the charity work that they do. And that's something that we kind of see a lot here with these different people, Bill Clinton or Kevin Spacey or, you know, Les Wexner, Jeffrey Epstein, where they hide behind charity work. They seem in the public eye to be good, upstanding people. And that's something that I think just makes it so much more villainous and just you know, how it's so hard to go after these people because, like, how can you go after Jeffrey Epstein? He was helping children in Africa. He donated $5 million to some foundation to feed the hungry. So it's like that's almost part of it where I think you can kind of hide behind why it took so long to get some of these people. Or Bill Clinton, you know all the things Bill Clinton's done. And then that was even before we knew his connections to Jeffrey Epstein. So, I mean, I just wanted to point that out. And then also I had a question for Mr. Lawson here. And I don't want to get you in trouble with, uh, you know, anything here or just the best of your ability, um, you know, give us an opinion. But in dealing with people like Jeffrey Epstein, like, because we know if you work in the financial markets or the, you know, if you work for a bank, you know, obviously people like that, Les Wexner, um, Leon Black, you know, some of these people, they're going to get benefits and perks that other people like us will never see, you know what kind of red carpet benefits or whatever do banks roll out for people like this? And do they look the other way a lot of times for these? Um, I, I actually couldn't, I couldn't tell you about like the red carpets they do at, at financial institutions. Um, I will say that when you have a certain level of wealth, like those people do, um, it's very, I mean, they obviously use 
it's not just like one bank or one it, it's it's spread out so much across the market and the activity they're doing is so it's just so much different than a normal person's account that um or relationship that it's just it's it's it honestly makes it harder, I think, for government agencies. Like, if you wanted to, like, investigate somebody, I think it just makes it so much more time-consuming and difficult because it's not like you have just, like, oh, it's just one person's relationship, Bank of America. No, it's, I mean, it's it's all these different banks and, you know, shell companies. Um, you know, it's, they, it's just, it could even be, like, small credit unions they use. I mean, they just spread the money out through so many financial institutions it does. It makes it really hard for if the government it wants to investigate some something. It makes it really hard to track it. I think um, just based on like the following of the money and the movement of the money. And there's so many ways, as we've talked about before, to like kind of not not so much hide money, but just to make it more difficult to track. So I think that's definitely something that these when you're super rich, you have a big advantage with being able to move money around without it being followed really. And is it fair to say that most of the time, and I could throw this open to either one, but I think Mr. Lawson was still no more. I mean, is it fair to say that for a lot of these banks, they don't want to know, they don't want to investigate because, you know, if you investigate one person, then does that mean like a dozen other uber wealthy aren't going to invest with you because, oh, like, you know, so, I mean, how can we fix it? I mean, I know this is a broad question, but is there anything we can do to fix something like this? And I know how uh, Patrick Henry feels about, you know, centralized banking and the Fed and all those different things if they're connected. But uh, Mr. Lawson, I mean, like, what can we honestly do? And how, like, they keep, they're going to get away with it forever, it feels like. Uh, one of the first things I would do if I was king of the day as far as the financial institutions, you got to try and stop um, these shell companies, which, if you don't know, a shell company is basically a company that just exists on paper, essentially. You just go and you register it, um, oftentimes offshore, um, you know, in these jurisdictions where there's very little, you know, like, I know, like, the Cayman Islands were definitely an example for a while. Um, just these locations where there's just so little regulation or oversight. And they just create, you know, I mean, they'll create, like, 50 companies. And they'll just change the names a little bit, you know. And it just, they basically, they don't do anything. The companies don't have any sort of, like, real business activity. Um, they don't often have a location. They just often have, like, a P.O. box or something like that. And the only reason they're there is just to help uber rich people move money through the market and you know obviously again makes it harder to track and it's easier to do nefarious things when you have you know hundreds and sometimes hundreds of shell companies that you're using that like maybe you don't even like maybe it's not even exclusive to one person you know so maybe like you know billionaire a has money in there and billionaire b has money in there and they just i mean it's just it can get so convoluted so i think one of the things we should try and crack down on um, globally, really, is having companies that just are just really there in just name only and have no other function except to really just move money around, honestly. And that's what I think is happening with these with these billionaires a lot of times. I'm not trying to say this is like as like a progressive, like, you know, stop the billionaires agenda. But, you know, I think that the shell company aspect of it, um, you really don't need it except to avoid taxes or to <laughs> do something that's um, nefarious or, or like some sort of fraudulent activity, honestly. Uh, Mr. Patrick Henry, do you want to weigh in before we continue? Or? Well, I did want to bring, I just wanted to bring it back to um, a couple more points I wanted to make on, on Epstein, if that's okay. So, yeah, go ahead. So, first of all, there's his 
extreme wealth. So his residences, um, he had one in Manhattan um, that was rumored to be the biggest private home in Manhattan. Is a 45,000 square foot, eight story mansion on East 71st Street worth $55.8 million. <clears throat> then there's Zorro Ranch. That is a custom built 51,000 square foot castle in Santa Fe, New Mexico worth $17.7 million. Then there's Little St. James, the island, as well as Great St. James. People don't realize that he actually owned two islands. Um, total for both of those worth $86 million. He also had a home in Palm Beach worth $13.6 million and a Paris apartment worth a measly $9.6 million. Then there's his planes. He had a Boeing 727, which is the size of a commercial airliner, and he dubbed that the Lolita Express. So when you hear the Lolita Express in the news, um, that's the plane that they're talking about. He also had smaller planes, a Cessna 421, a Gulfstream, and he had at least two helicopters. So um, he had extreme wealth, and a lot of people didn't even know who he was. And there was, there is a theory that the truth is he was an intelligence asset getting blackmail on powerful people in order to get them to go along with, in my opinion, it's to get them to go along with the New World Order or other globalist plans. So there's an article um, here from New York Magazine called Real Hedge Fund Managers Have Some Thoughts on What Epstein Was Actually Doing. So it says the hedge fund managers we spoke to lean towards the theory that Epstein was running a blackmail scheme under the cover of a hedge fund. The fact that Epstein's fund is an offshore in a tax haven, it is based in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and has a secret client list, both add credence to the blackmail theory. If the blackmail theory sounds far-fetched, it's worth keeping in mind that it was also floated by one of Epstein's victims, Virginia Roberts Jeffrey, I believe her last name is. Epstein, this is a quote, Epstein also got girls for Epstein's friends and acquaintances. Epstein specifically told me that the reason for him doing this was so that they would owe him. They would be in his pocket, and he would have something on them. She said that in a court affidavit, according to the investigative series in the Miami Herald, that brought the case back to the public's attention in 2019. In the 2015 filing, Jeffrey, the victim, claimed that Epstein debriefed her after she was forced into sexual encounters so that he could possess intimate and potentially embarrassing information to blackmail friends into parking their money with him. She also said photographic and video evidence existed, an assertion that looms especially large now that federal investigators have found a trove of images in Epstein's home safe. And then there was also an article titled, Maxwell told friend that Epstein's entire island was wired for video, presumably for blackmail purposes. So I just wanted to, to touch on that major theory um, that I think is is true that what Epstein was actually doing. Well, I'm just to prove to, to prove your point. I mean, even those pictures of Bill Clinton that I don't know how recently they were leaked, where like he's getting a back massage, back massage from um, Maxwell. 
I mean, like, I can't remember what, I think it might have been Joe Rogan, somebody said, like, what reason would there possibly be to even take a picture like that, you know, if it wasn't just to blackmail him? And and that's just a photo that was released, you know, you wonder how many they had that were, you know, obviously haven't been released yet or, or have been destroyed. Um, but yeah, I agree with you 100% on that, Patrick. I think there's clearly was a blackmail operation. Um and, when you're, and if you have power of attorney over someone's money, my God, I mean, <laughs> it's, just, it's just so much – I mean, basically, you, you own that billion dollars, essentially. You can do whatever you want. And if you have power of attorney, it's so difficult to, you know, to sue somebody to, like, get the money back. I mean, so you're basically handing over all of your finances to this guy. And I think there's a clear reason why they did that, which was for, you know, obviously trips to the island where there was a lot of disgusting things happening, so – yeah, and I'm glad um, that Patrick Henry brought up the New World Order because that's something else on the island that wasn't brought up yet is that on Pedophile Island, as it's been nicknamed, uh, there's a temple on that island with a gold dome on it, and there used to be uh, two golden statues on top of it also that allegedly or supposedly were blown off during a hurricane. But this instantly, when I saw something about this and I saw pictures of this on the island, reminded me of the Bohemian, Bohemian Grove. So it's not known what it was actually used for. There uh, are, uh, you know, there's supposedly even possibly underground tunnels that are beneath the temple that can go somewhere else that haven't been photographed or revealed yet. But it's one of those disturbing things where I think this, the connections, the dark ties that these people have, and then the initiations, the rituals, these are something that we've seen popping up, you know, in, in, you know, in different places, in Bohemian Grove over here. And it's just the secret society where it's just like you have to do these rituals. I'm going to have control over your life and these different things. But the benefits are you can literally do whatever you want. You can go around the world in a private jet. Here's 12-year-old girls that you can molest and rape. And I'm going to get it not, not into too much, but we, we do have some of the details on alleged acts that happened on the island that you know just show how kind of messed up these people are. And just – this isn't the only case, and this is something I wanted to say towards the end, but I want to say now, is the, this is just the tip of the iceberg. It didn't stop with Jeffrey Epstein. It didn't stop with Maxwell. These are still going on, these acts. These are something that are going to continue to go on, and basically it's it's hopefully getting to the point where more people are aware about it, but uh, I have to also calm myself down. As some listeners know, I get a little riled up sometimes, so I will throw it to somebody else and give myself a second. Let well, me just, I'll just say this. Um, for someone, I've actually worked a little bit with trying to stop sex trafficking. Um, very limited role, so I'm not going to try and speak too much about it. But, I mean, one thing I will say is that it is pervasive across all income levels, um, across, you know, across, it's a global epidemic. It's, it's something that, um, you know, poor, rich, middle-class people are, are doing, I mean, there's different websites where you can just, I mean, like you said, I mean, buy, buy sex or buy, you know, images or whatever. And, um, I just don't think, I think people think it's just like the rich people that are doing this. Um, that's not true at all. It's across society. Um, and there's, there's a conservative uh, commentator, uh, who says that, you know, wealth doesn't really change you, but it amplifies whatever you had with you before. And I, I kind of, I think I agree with that. I think that these rich people, 
um, already had these tendencies before, and now they're uber-rich billionaires who now have a whole other level of access to, you know, like the pedophile island, as you described. And I think that is really what happened. I don't think that it's like across the board, all rich people are doing this, but I think that the idea that like, oh, our politicians are, you know, they're they're somehow better in some way and they have higher moral values or something like that, that's just complete garbage. I mean, I think there's people like Clinton and Trump, obviously, and Prince Andrew that show that basically, you know, these billionaires and, and these people that I mentioned have a past of having kind of um, a, a checkered past as far as women goes, I would say. And now you give them access to someone like Epstein and it just opens the floodgates for them. So, yeah, and well said, and I'm calm now. You know, I'm sorry these topics could be upsetting, but uh, some of the examples that we do have, you know, and, and some of these I heard recently or watched recently again in a Netflix documentary. I think it's like famously rich that's up there, which I'm shocked hasn't been taken down yet either about Jeffrey Epstein. And, um, you know, allegedly uh, uh, Gillian Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein gave a 16-year-old aspiring massage therapist to Donald Trump while they were at Mar-a-Lago. There are documented cases that we saw and we already brought up with Bill Clinton going to Epstein's, Epstein's, Epstein's private island on a private jet and different accounts of Bill groping and undressing young women. There's um, Kevin Spacey and Chris Tucker have been photographed and have known to be, you know, visited the island. Stephen Hawking's been there, Prince Andrew, um, several other people all allegedly have been there, even though there's pictures of them. So it's it's really... So I want to say the, the biggest difference, I feel like, that I would just, I'll let you guys speak, but the biggest difference when a, when a middle-class person or a poor person is involved in sex trafficking um, it's easy. It's more likely that they're caught first of all, because they're not as advanced. And you know, if if someone is arrested for this, people give other people's names, and those people are charged. And all those names you just mentioned, I mean, maybe you guys know more about than I do, but no one's been really charged. I mean, I know Prince Andrew has been investigated a little bit, but I don't see any of these. I mean, if you're involved in you know sex trafficking, if you usually go to jail, even if you're just, you know, a cursory person involved in it. It's not, you know, it's not just one or two people that go to jail for this. And in this case, I don't think anyone's going to really go to jail except for uh, Maxwell. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, and I'm, I'll bring uh, Patrick Henry into this next, but I'm glad you brought that up. And we did mention this on another podcast about when Epstein was charged with solicitation of prostitution and procurement of minors for prostitution in 2007. He was registered as a sexual offender, but he was sentenced to 18 months and only served 13 months in a private wing of a county per prison where he was allowed to leave six days a week for work. And he was supposed to be there, you know, he was supposed to check in. And there was times where he went weeks without checking in. Um, the Miami Herald revealed that Alexander Acosta, the, a U.S. attorney at the time in Florida, had enough evidence to put Epstein away for life. Instead, he met with Epstein's lawyer who was a former colleague of his, and they worked out a plea deal. This uh, was reported by Taylor Nicole Rogers in 2020. And then we also know Acosta famously worked for Trump later, all but briefly, and resigned. But again, just as Mr. Lawson alluded, you know, these, you know, the way that they are protected and don't go to jail. And yeah, I mean, I think uh, we all went to school together. We know somebody who I won't give his name, who was arrested shortly after graduation for a uh, uh, 
you know, just having pictures and uh, videos, I believe, of underage, you know, uh, pornography. And I believe he served seven years in prison, you know. He got seven years in prison for that, and it was, he's disgusting. He deserves to be in prison, obviously. But then you look at what happened to Epstein and slap on – not even a slap on the wrist. It's almost like here's a bad piece of candy, like, you know. But uh, Mr. Henry? Yeah, so you, you, I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned um, his his very lax prison sentence um, because I did so much research, but I forgot to touch on that part. Um, it was unprecedented, and Alex Acosta was primarily to blame for that. And Alex Acosta actually said that he was told Epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone. So... Um, I feel like Alex Acosta was even saying like, Hey, stop blaming me. I, I got a call that he belonged to intelligence and, and to leave it alone. And if you want to see all the people Epstein is tied to, you can find his, uh, he, he had a little black book and you can find that online digitally. And it's got all the names in there of people who he was connected to. And it's pretty stunning. Um, also you mentioned, um, you, you mentioned possibly having underground structures, and we know for a fact that he did have underground structures on that island. Um, NBC News mentioned it, buried in their article, the very last sentence. It says, um, while the two sides were still hashing out the agreement, Epstein was moving forward with plans to triple the size of his 8,124-square-foot island residence and add a new pool, spa, and underground theater, according to permit records viewed by NBC News. So... They're calling it a theater, but who knows, you know, who knows what it was really. And it, it is, it's kind of funny to me that he still had to obtain permit records for all this. <laughs> so that's, that's on record somewhere. Like they still made him get permits. I find well, that Well, I heard funny. that he violated a lot of those permits too. And he brought in like 150 workers a day. Yeah. And like, that was what they were trying to get him for was on the permits. And he wouldn't let police pass his front door of the island, they said. So yeah. It's like, it's like getting Al Capone for like tax evasion. I just can't imagine the little permit office of uh, the Virgin Islands trying to deny him, like, uh, well, you can't actually do that on your island, and, and they, you know, Henry Kissinger pays him a visit or something. Um, so we also have uh, we also have another connection that we haven't touched on too much was with Alan Dershowitz. So, out of Boston Magazine, they had the World versus Alan Dershowitz, and it's really interesting to see who. Um, introduced Alan Dershowitz to Epstein. So it says, his social profile began to improve, improve, in 1996 upon meeting the financier Jeffrey Epstein through Lynn Forrester de Rothschild, a Martha's Vineyard friend. So he met uh, Epstein through a member of the Rothschild family, and no one's even bringing up the Rothschilds. You know, uh, the, the Rothschilds need to be brought up just like everybody else needs to be brought up. How the hell did she know Epstein so well that she was able to introduce him to Alan Dershowitz? She told Ep she told Dershowitz that Epstein was a brilliant autodidact who loved meeting interesting people. Epstein visited Dershowitz in Cambridge, sent him a thank you bottle of wine, and a week later called to invite him to the 59th birthday party of Victoria's Secret founder Les Wexner. So there's that name again. I said, who's going to be there? Dershowitz tells me. He said, Shimon Perez is going to be there. 
Senator John Glenn, the astronaut, Alfred Taubman, the head of Sotheby's. So Dershowitz was in. Dershowitz had represented the fabulously wealthy before, but had never been friends with anyone on Epstein's level. There was a ranch in New Mexico, a mansion in Palm Beach, a private island in the Caribbean, plus Epstein's primary residence, a 50,000-square-foot townhouse said to be the largest in Manhattan. Dershowitz was bowled over. I met Prince Andrew through him. I mean, I'm a kid from Borough Park, an orthodox, poor community, hanging around with a prince and scientists who were going to win the Nobel Prize. That's pretty thrilling. Epstein, who also became close with Harvard grandees such as Larry Summers, made a $30 million donation to Harvard. Dershowitz, in turn, began flying on Epstein's jet and hanging out in Palm Beach. So I just wanted to uh, bring up that connection there. Yeah, and I'm, I had written down those residences, too, and some details about it, so I'm glad you brought it up. And um, I just wanted to uh, go really quick, too, on, as I said earlier, some of the alleged abuse that happened on Jeffrey Epstein's island. And some of these things, um, this first one was uh, reported from The Independent. And a lot of these things, which is so upsetting, too, is that they were after Epstein was already registered as a sex offender. And a lot of these continued for years, up until 2019, some of these things, where some of them, um, again, all allegedly, but it was seen by gardeners, it was seen by you know other uh, workers on the island, that um, many, abu- uh, many victims were abused, uh, raped, and most of the victims were threatened with violence, blackmail, and guns. They even said that Epstein had a gun in his room that he would threaten the girls with. A 15-year-old girl once tried to escape, and he had an entire island conduct a manhunt to find her it's not really known what was happened to her happened to her when she was brought back but apparently she was dragged back to the compound and her passport was taken and she was threatened that she wasn't allowed to leave so there was another you know not just in his uh uh pedophile island uh, buildings but also i believe in new york and florida there are pictures everywhere of young girls half naked or naked um, many of them again underage uh, the trial of Maxwell revealed some, some of the testimony that many of the girls were forced to wear outfits and were groped and felt up and undressed despite protest uh, at having these actions happen. And probably, and these are all horrible, but even probably worse of all was on the documentary on Netflix where he, for his birthday, either bought or was given three French girls that were all 12 years of age or, old, or younger, and none of them spoke English. And he kept them for one night and then had them sent back to France. Um, again, these are just, again, really upsetting things. And as Mr. Lawson said, yeah, it doesn't, it's not just um, the uber rich to do these, but it seems so unnecessary because a middle class person or even a moderately wealthy person wouldn't be able to afford to do these things and get away with it. You know, so he had other means and the connections to do these things and then cover them up for decades. Uh, Mr. Lawson. Well, it's just I just can't get over it. The, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the trial. I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm glad that she was found guilty. I mean, five or six counts. I don't know why they went through and like somehow debated that last count for so long and decided not to find her guilty on that. Um but what bothers me in that trial is that they didn't focus on like we're talking about the like. Like, um, Patrick Henry's bringing up all the finances and the connections, and you're bringing up the, the different acts that were involved. And I feel like they just didn't – the prosecutor didn't open the scope at all. It was such a narrow investigation 
that just focused on her, and they brought in a few witnesses. And the witnesses they brought in, when they mentioned, um, you know, seeing Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, that was kind of like, and I don't think they mentioned Prince Andrew in the trial or not, um, but that was kind of the end of it. And they didn't, like, bring those names back up again, and they certainly haven't questioned those people. And that's what really bothers me is I feel like Congress, you know, launches all these, like, you know, joint investigations and, you know, these task forces into, you know, issues that aren't nearly as important. But on something like this, you know, I don't think there's – has Congress made any indication that they're going to, like, launch some sort of, like, congressional investigation into this? I haven't heard anything about that. And this is something that, you know, I feel like should happen, and these people should be questioned. And they're just – it's just not happening at all. They're just being – it's, it's, I feel like this might be the end of this trial, or certainly maybe they'll do something else with Prince Andrew, but I, I feel like this, this narrow scope of this investigation is really troubling to me. As I said earlier, I think that, yeah, it, oh, sorry, Mr. Patrick, I'll, I'll bring in there. I just want to say, like, really quick is, is, I think, yeah, this is meant to, you know, satisfy the public. It's like, oh, see, we did get these people. Epstein's dead. What are we going to do? Maxwell was his right-hand lady. You know, we got her. She's going away, if that's really what's going to happen. But, yeah, it's just like, this is... You know, wipe your hands, close like close the book on it. And that's what I think this is, uh, Patrick. Yeah, even an article out of Vanity Fair said the prosecution is fumbling its case against Gisling Maxwell. And Gisling Maxwell's little black book is to remain a secret um, after the judge warned against needless name dropping. And the prosecutor was is the daughter of um, James Comey, the head of the FBI. So there's all kinds of weird connections. And yeah, I think this is just kind of to make it go away. Um, so the charges on her that, so there was count one, conspiracy to entice a minor to travel to engage in illegal sexual activity. She was found guilty of that. Count two, she was found not guilty of, which is enticing a minor into illegal sexual activity. Count three, she was found guilty of, which is conspiracy to transport a minor with the intent to engage in criminal sexual activity. Count four, guilty transportation of a minor with intent to engage in illegal sexual activity. Count five, guilty conspiracy to commit sex trafficking of minors. And count six, guilty of sex trafficking, sex trafficking of a minor. Um, and like I said before, she's the daughter of um, Robert Maxwell, who had a very mysterious death where he was um found thrown naked off of his yacht into the ocean and died and they said it was a suicide and it's rumored that he was an israeli spy as well actually i think that's confirmed i don't know if that's rumored anymore it's it, pretty sure it's confirmed um and her family has ties to a lot of strange people including even alistair crowley who is a uh, famous Satanist in the early 1900s. And you can find uh, more on that in an article called um, Jeffrey Epstein friend Gisling Maxwell has more skeletons in her family closet than a house of horse. So um, <clears throat> some really weird connections there with Gisling Maxwell. And then um, I wanted to get back to Epstein a little bit as well, but I'll throw it back to Scott first. Well, yeah, actually, I, I wanted to wrap up a little with something I had on Epstein before going on to, like, finishing with Maxwell's trial and potentially Prince Andrew, but something that also happened during Maxwell's trial that concerned Epstein, uh, it happened quietly, was the two guards 
at the prison that Epstein was uh, imprisoned at were just recently, their charges were dropped and they were released without any charges at all um, for allowing, supposedly, uh, Epstein to kill himself or for tampering with evidence and files uh, pertaining to that. So they got away with it. And, I mean, that right there just showed... Um, so, because uh, I... Oh, go ahead. Uh, who raised their hand first? Patrick? Uh, I wanted to touch on that real quick because, so I went back and, and did some research on uh, his death and how weird that was. And you mentioned the two guards. Well, so this is from Wikipedia. So first of all, back in 2019, um, Epstein requested to be released on bond. He offered to post $100 million with the condition that he would also submit to house arrest in his New York City mansion. U.S. District Judge Richard M. Berman denied the request on July 18th, saying that Epstein posed a danger to the public and a serious flight risk to avoid prosecution. On July 23rd, Epstein was found injured and semi-conscious at what conscious at 1:30 a.m. on the floor of his cell with marks around his neck that were suspected to be the result of either a suicide attempt or an assault. So then it gets into nobody's sure what happened there. Was he attacked and it? And, and not killed, or was he staging it? Then, when Epstein was placed in the, in a special housing unit, the jail informed the Justice Department that he would have a cellmate and that a guard would look into his cell every 30 minutes. These procedures were not followed on the night of his death. On August 9, 2019, Epstein's cellmate was transferred out, but no one took his place. Later in the evening, contrary to the jail's normal procedure, Epstein was not checked every 30 minutes. The two guards, who, as Scott mentioned, their, the case against them was just dropped. The two guards who were assigned to check his jail unit that night fell asleep and did not check on him for about three hours. The guards then falsified related records. And, oh, by the way, two cameras in front of Epstein's cell malfunctioned that night. Epstein was found dead in his cell at Metropolitan Correctional Center in New York City at 6.30 a.m. on August 10th, 2019. So <laughs> if anyone believes that that was just a normal suicide, uh, especially when he was put on suicide watch and then taken off and then all these other things, I mean, no. Um, I think that it's possible that not only did he not kill himself, but that he's still alive and was able to escape that jail and that he's still alive somewhere um either that or he was murdered but go ahead Scott. i was gonna say really quick yeah there was at the end of the documentary that's on netflix they found a bunch of his passports like and um falsified passports and ids in his new york mansion and one of the investigators said he would not be surprised if epstein was alive on a beach somewhere in saudi arabia and again too like that prison that he was stationed at almost seemed the perfect place for him to escape from. Um, I think they said, like, the courtyard, like, they, they saw vans that could, like, uh, drive up on notice. Like, I think that they even had a, uh, a video of, like, and these are things, too. These are all alleged and conjecture and stuff. But there was allegedly, like, a van that pulled up at, like the, it, during those exact hours and drove away. Um, there's people that have said, like, some people that have said that they've seen Epstein back in his new uh, Mexico ranch, too. But, uh, again, too, like, why would he kill himself, too? Is like he'd already gotten away with this once before. Why would he think with his wealth and connections that he couldn't get away with it again 
or you know if he was killed i mean it was to hide you know some different secrets so that's my last thing i wanted to say and i've seen before we wanted to clo- uh, start closing things out here and uh talk about the trial or anything else uh mr lawson do you want to say something well yeah i mean like the way the prison situation is something you would expect in like a third world country or like it'd be like or something like oh my gosh like this prison's like just has horrible procedures and horrible conditions and like it's not a surprise what happened and like the guards could be easily bribed because that kind of a country but like it's in new york city like in the i mean it's to me it's clear i, I think he was, i think he was murdered because again it's just he had so much you could have said and so many people he could have brought down i don't think they would even take the risk of flying him to like saudi arabia or something i know people have said that listen i don't know it could be but i just think they would just want him dead just to i mean you, you end the secrets right there essentially and you know maxwell i feel like i'm it'll be interesting to see what happens with her because you know she could still basically plead down her sentence if she gave enough information up on people but you know i don't know if she's gonna have the opportunity to do that or if she's just or if she has some other kind of deal where maybe with killing epstein they're afraid like hey if you say if you even like think about saying something you'll also end up um committing suicide air quotes in prison so i don't know we'll see what happens with that actually it's funny you mention that because the new york post just recently reported that maxwell's brother and i wonder if this was like a plea to the outside you know the the you know shadow like whoever's behind the scenes here that he basically said to the public his sister's not a wreck that she would not uh give up alleged sex offenders or anybody in her book or her connections and that's almost like kind of wonder if that's like hey like please don't kill my sister you know she's going to keep her mouth by it and he's saying that to the public for everybody here or at the same time too at this point if they do put her in solitary confinement and don't give her access to the media at all like they don't really need to kill her because they're like oh she's just going to be in prison for six years people are going to forget about her in probably a couple months anyway and then and then it's like oh yeah you remember that maxwell lady so they at this point they really don't need to do anything and I, I think it would, it, like you said, it would look more suspicious if she did end up dying or suicide. So that's actually um, all I really had to say. So, yeah, I'm going to throw it over to Patrick. So I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm good. You, you guys can finish up here. <laughs> well, I wanted to touch on one of the more bizarre stories on Epstein, and that came from the New York Times. So it's called Jeffrey Epstein hoped to seed human race with his DNA. So this is a quote from the article. Mr. Epstein's vision reflected his longstanding fascination with what has become known as transhumanism, the science of improving the human population through technologies like genetic engineering and artificial intelligence. Critics have likened transhumanism to a modern-day version of eugenics, the discredited field of improving the human race through controlled breeding. Scientists gathered at dinner parties at Mr. Epstein's Manhattan mansion where Dom Perignon and expensive wines flowed freely, even though Mr. Epstein did not drink. He hosted buffet lunches at Harvard's Program for Evolutionary Dynamics, which he had helped start with a $6.5 million donation. Others flew to conferences sponsored by Mr. Epstein in the United States Virgin Islands and were and were dragged around on his private island there. Once the scientists, including Mr. Hawking, Stephen Hawking, crowded on board a submarine that Epstein had chartered. Epstein was willing to finance research that others viewed as bizarre. 
He told one scientist that he was bankrolling efforts to identify a mysterious particle that might trigger the feeling that someone is watching you. At one session at Harvard, Epstein criticized efforts to reduce, to reduce starvation and provide health care to the poor because doing so increased the risk of overpopulation, said the Harvard cognitive psychologist Steven Pinker, who was there. Mr. Pinker said he had rebutted the argument, citing research showing that high rates of infant mortality simply caused people to have more children. Mr. Epstein seemed annoyed, and a Harvard colleague later told Mr. Pinker that he had been voted off the island and was no longer welcome at Epstein's gatherings. So you have to be a pro-population control in order to be at Epstein's gatherings. Then there was Epstein's interest in eugenics. On multiple occasions starting in the early 2000s, Epstein told scientists and businessmen about his ambitions to use his New Mexico ranch as a base where women would be inseminated with his sperm and would give birth to his babies, according to two award-winning scientists and advisor to large companies and wealthy individuals, all of whom Epstein told about. It was not a secret. The advisor, for example, said he was told about the plans not only by Epstein at a gathering at his Manhattan townhouse, but also by at least one prominent member of the business community. One of the scientists said Epstein divulged his idea in 2001 at a dinner at the same townhouse. The other recalled Epstein discussing it with him at a 2006 conference that he hosted in St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. One adherent to transhumanism said that he and Mr. Epstein discussed the financier's interest in cryonics in unproven science in which people's bodies are frozen to be brought back to life in the future. Epstein told this person that he wanted his head and penis to be frozen. In 2011, a charity established by Epstein gave $20,000 to the World Transhumanist Association, which now operates under the name Humanity Plus. The group's website says that its goal is to deeply influence a new generation of thinkers who dare to envision humanity's next steps. Luminaries at Epstein's St. Thomas Conference in 2006 included Stephen Hawking and the Caltech theoretical physicist Kip Thorne. One participant at the conference, which was ostensibly on the subject of gravity, recalled that Epstein wanted to talk about perfecting the human genome. Epstein said he was fascinated with how certain traits were passed on and how that could result in superior humans. So this dude was into eugenics and a lot of other weird uh, crap. That one I didn't really know about, but I, uh, I have heard of transhumanism before. So, uh, Mr. Lawson? Well, I just want to say that I feel like there's a conspiracy with the um, the right wing of, of the part of the Republican Party that like the, it's just the Democrats are involved in like you know sex trafficking or they're all pedophiles or something like that. And I think based on what I mean, this we we said in this podcast, um, it's across all political parties. It's across business. As I mean, I think there's more businessmen involved than we even mentioned. I know I've heard people that said Disney executives were involved with him or close ties to him. Um, there's a lot of people that have ties to him. Um, but clearly, like Wexner was a, I mean, Wexner, who we mentioned a bunch of times, was a Republican up until recently, um, has donated to, you know, Paul Ryan, lots of really both political parties. Um, so I just want to say that I think that the fact that, you know, if, if it was just one party or the other, I feel like there would be like Congress would be like investigating this um, greatly. But the fact that they're not is a sign to me that it's just, it's all, it's above, it's above the, just political realm. These are people like 
um, Patrick Henry mentioned, like the Rockchilds. Um, these are the people that are really um, in charge of the in charge of the. I want to say in charge of the globe, but like just have such an influence that like it's it's above both parties to me. Um, and yeah, I I wish they would you know ask questions of a lot of these people that have at least like gone to the private island, but it's just it's, it's not going to happen. And and like I said, it's it's political, it's business, it's scientists, as Patrick Henry said. I mean, it's just it's across the spectrum of anyone that has influence. So. Yeah, and I just wanted to quickly mention, since you mentioned Disney executives, um, there was a uh, Project Veritas exposed um, ABC News. So ABC News, for those who don't know, is actually owned by Disney. Disney owns a lot of things that people don't uh, realize, like ESPN and um, ABC News and Hulu. Um, so the network uh, allegedly killed the Epstein story which imp- which would have implicated Bill Clinton and the British uh, royalty and more. So um, that was, I, I remember that, and that's on video. They have a, a ABC News reporter saying she had everything ready. She was going to bring the news story to light, and ABC News said, no, we're, we're not going to talk about this. Um, so that, that ties in with that Disney executive's um, comment. Yeah, I, I saw that same. I saw that same thing, and it's, it's just troubling to see that. Like I said, there's instances where you said ABC clearly had information, didn't expose it. Um, there's instances where like Fox News had pictures of Trump with Epstein, and they like um, wiped out Trump from the pictures. So I mean, it's clearly both media, and honestly, the, the way the trial was covered on just like I watched a little bit of CNN after like the verdict came out, um, and it was, again, they they don't expand the scope at all. They just talked about like, you know, well, is this, you know, now, now the victims have some justice and, you know, okay, maybe a little bit in that very narrow instance. But I mean, I, if I was a victim, I would think I would want to, you know, expand it to the people that were actually going to this island and the, the people that the victims were being um, brought to, you know, instead of just the traffickers to me. But. Well, what's, what's amazing is the influence that two party politics has over this. So our, our first two presidents, Washington and, and Adams, both warned against, you know, party politics. And this is exactly why. I mean, I have seen both people on both sides not want to look into Epstein or in denial about what happened with Epstein. Um, for example, I've seen, you know, uh, Trump Trump voters who bash Epstein left and right and, and talk about his connections. But then they say Trump, well, Trump wasn't involved. You know, Trump cut ties with them. I've seen more pictures of Trump with Epstein than pretty much anybody else. And that quote that I read at the start of this episode from Trump um, is really creepy. And then there's there's Clinton. You know, then there's people on the left don't want to bash Clinton too much. So there's pictures of Ghislaine Maxwell at um, Clinton's daughter's wedding. Um, there is uh, there is also really creepily. I wanted to mention this here. There was pictures of. Let's see, where is it? Jeffrey Epstein had a painting of Bill Clinton wearing a blue dress in red heels and lounging in the Oval Office inside his Manhattan townhouse. That's true. And the same artist who did that painting that was hanging in Epstein's townhouse also did another painting of George Bush flying paper airplanes into Jenga blocks that look like the Twin Towers. Really creepy stuff. Really weird connections. Um, And... 
But like, I just wanted to bash the two-party politic thing there. It's like we can't get anywhere on Epstein because people on both sides are afraid to implicate someone on their side, and it's just so stupid. And I just, it's it's uh, awful. Hundred percent. I that's exactly what it is. I feel like if it was like, if it was clearly like a certain, if it was just a small number of people. I think that it would be, you know, especially if it was a small number of people on one side of the political aisle, you would be, there would be investigations like the Benghazi or, you know, the, the other big investigations we've had. Um, but instead, you know, like, where's Ted Cruz, like, like you know, calling for a special investigation? Like, you know, where's AOC talking about, like, the, the billionaire class taking advantage of, you know, these poor women? I mean, I don't, I don't see any of that from either side. It seems like something that, like, I don't think, again, I don't think every politician is, like, involved in it but i think it's something that like they know they don't want to rip off the band-aid and see like they don't want to see what's behind the curtain you know it's like i think a lot of people know about it i think there's different levels of connection obviously like people who are really higher up like the clintons i think are very involved in it um and should be questioned but um i just think a lot of times like the senate it seems like they don't want to get into it you know it's like it's there because they don't want to expose and lead they don't want to go down the rabbit hole of what this could lead to i think so I think fantastic points for both from you guys there, and you nailed everything I wanted to say, and Mr. Lawson coming in really strong with those points, too. I mean, I give you a lot of credit for bringing those up. So, And also, it'll be interesting to see going forward what does happen with Prince, Prince Andrew, and we can discuss that hopefully sometime in the future on another podcast. But as I wrap things up here, I just want to say really quick, we have said on previous episodes that the things Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein and uh, Ghislaine Maxwell were involved in have occurred for decades and will continue, as I said before. Uh, the two sacrificial lambs have been offered to the public, but everything after, but even after, hundreds of young girls were scarred for life, ignored by the government and law enforcement, threatened, and worst of all, especially worst of all, they were brainwashed into thinking that they did something wrong and are not victims. And I think that's one of the worst things here. So going forward, we need a stronger voice to reveal and expose these horrific acts because I guarantee that they are still happening. The people involved are mortals. They are not gods or above the law, despite them believing that they are. They don't believe that they are doing anything wrong. As I said before, we are not people to them. We are servants, playthings, and insects, and they feel no remorse when they have to step on an insect or they get tired of something they play with. So, I mean... And, and unfortunately, like Mr. Lawson said, it's not just the uber rich. It, it's everywhere, but I think it needs to start at the stop, at the top, cut off the head of the snake for these things, and the trickle-down effects will become uh, uh, more apparent. So with that, uh, I hate to leave something on a kind of like frustrating note like that. I, I do want to end every episode with some positivity, a little humor if we can, and it's sometimes hard to do that. But luckily, we do have Mr. Lawson here who's going to give us our scoop of the week and carry us into a positive attitude going forward into the new year and into our next episode. So, Mr. Lawson, your scoop, please. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a tough subject to talk about. And, um, you know, again, I think it goes to the exploitation of young people. And in a much lesser version of this, I think we can talk about college football. So just wanted to say that, uh, you know, I haven't talked about it yet, but I feel like I'm glad these athletes are paid a little bit. I know if you guys want to debate on that sometime, we can. Um, but I think right now we're in a moment where 
athletes are being paid and the schools and I think just even like the donors to the schools don't know how to handle it. And I think that the college football landscape is going to change a lot in the next couple of years. Um, the bowl games this year, I don't know about you guys, you guys chime in. I couldn't have cared less about any of the bowl games this year, honestly, unless my team was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless your team, I feel like it's got, I feel like before, I know years ago, like my parents would say like the bowls games, like they really meant something like that was like must see TV if you were a big sports fan. And now the only bowl I really care about is the bowl that my team is in. And then the playoffs, you know, like that's it. So I think that college football, despite I didn't want them to expand past six, even recently. I think they're going to expand to 12 because <laughs> the postseason now is such a joke. You have players that are just not playing in bowl games um, and skipping. You have players that like just go to practice, but like they don't want to get hurt in their bowl game because they want to get drafted. Um, you have coaches leaving like right before the bowl games and stuff like that. So I just think they need to just totally revamp the way the postseason in college is done because – Again, it's just something these players, players and fans, I think, have stopped caring about all the other bowls besides really um, the playoffs and maybe a couple bowls on New Year's Day that like are just on because you have relatives over and you just have something to watch, honestly. Yeah, and what's his face leaving Notre Dame the way he did, and uh, I was I was still satisfied to see Notre Dame lose because I don't like that school. But you know, again, too, their coach, you know, that's the second time I can't remember his name right now. It's the second time he did it. He used to be the coach at Cincinnati. And he left Cincinnati right before their first ever bowl game years ago. And he did the same thing to Notre Dame again, Brian Kelly. So, uh, you know, it just, yeah, these things are incredibly frustrating and really turned me off on college football in general. So was there anything else, gentlemen? No? All right. Then thank you all so much out there for listening to us. Uh, please find us on rd3productions.yahoo.com, Facebook, Twitter, and chime in. Uh, we'd love to get your opinions on this. I know a couple uh, VIP listeners out there who are – uh, at least one in particular who's very uh, passionate about these issues we talked about. So let us know how we did. But until then, everybody have a happy, safe new year, and we look forward to uh, having you all with us again. All right, everybody, take care. Bye. Dying of thirst, trying to find an oasis. Finally paying for all the time that I've wasted. I said life is a race, but I was driving mistakes. See, the truth will shine a light on all your lies if you're facing us. So that's why you might hate me. At a party, won't play this. If I tried to be basic, I would finally be famous. I could be crowned for a favor. I could be drowning in paper. I could have all the kingdoms of the world. I'm bound on a saying. Matthew 4 9, if you doubt what I'm saying. Matthew 6 6, keep it down while I'm praying. Revelation 1.